The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. My desire now is to lead us to the word of God's grace. It is a love that is so simple that a child can understand. John 3.16. For 42 years I've been teaching children and they can respond to this love that we see in John 3.16. One of my students, probably fourth grade, third grade, wrote, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And anyone who believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. And then down here, it's like a commentary. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love. It was his love. John 3.16. So simple that a child can understand it and so profound that it baffles theologians. Through the ages. What's the context? Sunday school was great this morning. Who said John 3.16? To whom was it said? Do I need to cut anything on up there? I see you waving at me. Just click it. Right here? Okay. This always happens. I'll wait on you. Do your magic. While we're waiting, let me assuage you of your fears. I've written a book. It's called Sermon Notes. You have them. If you do not have them, you need to have them. So would you raise your hand and just please ask for the Sermon Notes because this gentleman will uh, bring it to you. Now, I see those looks in your eyes. Thank you. Just like at my church, when I give out my sermon notes, it's like deer in the headlights. Because deep down, you're saying, he'll never get through this. He will never get through this. So I asked, I think, two or three, three different people, should I give out my sermon notes? Okay, you pray. And uh, I did. I gave them out. You've got them. Now, in my Kairos classes at uh, Teaching Bible, the rule is... Three per page, you've got to fill in something on two of them. You don't have to do that here, it's okay. It's all right, but I'm just there for you. If you have a question that you want to go back and search the scriptures on or something that's been said, jot down a note and you can go back to that. But there they are, those are the sermon notes. My wife is not here. She chose our seven grandkids over me to hear me preach. But she did say, as I asked her, I said, uh, should I give out sermon notes? And she didn't answer that. So uh, I said, I always get through them. And as I was leaving the door that day, she said, yeah, in three hours. (laughs) It's okay. I've got the clicker, and I can click fast if we get toward the end. But I would like those in the worship booth back there 
I want you to be my bouncers, okay? Because if you feel like you, if you see heads nodding, would you just do this? Okay, let me know. Okay, and then when I've got five minutes left, just hold up five minutes and I'll be done. If I'm in the middle of a sentence, I'll stop because I don't want to uh, take too much of your time. This sermon is called Nick at Night. Who's Nick? Talk to me. Who is Nick? It's Nicodemus. That's exactly right. We find the story in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. But really, the chapter divisions, as you know, if you study your Bible, are not inspired. They were added later, the chapter divisions and the numbers. And, and that's good. That helps us, doesn't it? But they're not inspired. And so when you read in context the Word of God, sometimes those chapter divisions can be detrimental to the flow of what the writer is saying. His Lamp Am I, it's by Annie Johnson Flint. What I propose to show you today is where God comes into the world in a world of great darkness with great light. But the light of God is the love of God exposing our sin and our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once we come into the light through repentance and faith, we must, we must go out with God's love because there's the world to reach. And Annie Johnson Flint wrote this poem, his lamp am I to shine where he shall say. And lamps are not for sunny rooms nor for the light of day, but for the dark places on the earth where wrong and crime have birth, or where wandering sheep have gone astray, or where the lamp of faith grows dim and souls are groping after him. And as sometimes we find, clear shining through the night, so dark we cannot see the lamp, but only see the light, so may I shine his love, the flame, that men may glorify his name. When Greg graciously spoke at my celebration of leaving the Charleston Christian School, well, not celebration, like, yeah, yay, wow, go, but, you know, whatever that was. Greg made this statement. He said, it is not enough to love your students. It is not enough to love to teach. You must love the students that you teach. If you're a teacher here, you know that. It is not enough to love to teach. You must love the students that you teach because students can read you. And they understand if you're there because you, you really love them. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why did he do that? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I think it's a beautiful picture of Nicodemus being in darkness, but not knowing it. But we have Matthew chapter 4 telling us that the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. 
And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. And John the Baptist is the herald and he he prepares the way and John the Baptist's sermons were quite short. And he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When John the Baptist was put in prison, the Lord Jesus Christ has the same message. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have a pen and you have the notes, I would want you to circle the word repent. I would like you to highlight that. Because we have Nicodemus, who was rich and respected and righteous, and he was a ruler of the Jews. We do believe that he was one of the three richest men in Jerusalem. Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ at night. Something was missing in his life. Rich, respected, righteous according to the law of God, and a ruler to whom everyone looked up to, the Pharisees. Something just wasn't right in his life. And Nicodemus takes a journey by the Spirit of God drawing him to Jesus Christ that night. Has God done that in your life? Do you remember the day when you knew deep in your heart something was wrong and you sought someone out? It's official. I'm old. I'm going to a doctor now that is called a old person doctor but he has an official name. Help me out. Yeah, that's the word I won't say. He's a geriatric doctor. And I was talking to him the other day, and he liked to talk. His name's Alan Jackson. So when I walked in, I said, I don't hear any country music. I thought that was funny. But anyway, I talked to him and I said, I got saved at the age of 19 at the Baptist College of Charleston. There was a man there by the name of Dr. Carpenter. He said, I I went to Baptist College. I knew Dr. Carpenter. I said, I was 19. I was strung out on drugs. I know, I know I was dying. I was like in a prison. And Dr. Carpenter loved me in a way that no one else other than my mother had ever loved me. It was like light into my life. And Dr. Carpenter loved me, and I was not a good person. I want you to know that. Most people ran the other way when they saw me. He loved me with the love of Christ. And I remember going over to his house, driving to his house one day, and knocking on the door in this large 
stately Southern Baptist minister, much like W.A. Criswell, was at the door. And I said, Dr. Carpenter, I need help. He said, son, I can't help you. But I know who can. But I know who can. He led me through the Romans road. And I left a new creation. I left at 19, cleansed by the blood of Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who drew me to Dr. Carpenter. It is the Holy Spirit at work who is drawing Nicodemus to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in this journey from night to light the world's greatest tragedy and the world's greatest truths and the world's greatest text and the world's greatest test, but this, this is what must happen. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? What is that word? Repentance. Would you circle that? Would you circle the word repentance, please? Because you understand that Nicodemus was a rich and self-righteous, respected ruler of the Jews. Chapter 2 of John ends like this. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. That's when he turned the water into wine. <laughs> Don't you love the phrase where Jesus said, fill the containers to the brim. God doesn't do anything halfway. Fill them to the brim because this is going to be a miracle. And he manifested his glory because when they took out the water that had been turned to wine, his glory was manifested. And it says his disciples believed in him. But you will notice what it says. Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. Why? Because faith based on signs is not saving faith. Faith born of repentance is saving faith. And when Dr. Carpenter opened Romans Road and read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I said, what's next? I'm there. I have sinned. I know it. And you don't need to spend much time on Romans 3.23. Romans 5, 8 is where he went. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But he doesn't manifest his, his glory. He doesn't manifest the secret things of the kingdom of God because he could read every heart. He could read every every heart because he was divine and he read Nicodemus's heart. He could read Nicodemus's heart. And to Nicodemus, he entrusts himself. Yeah. Let me read these 10 verses if you have your Bibles. The Sunday school teacher this morning said, if you want to hear God speak, read the word out loud. John 3, 1, 
Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with him. We like compliments. But this was far too shallow a compliment. Let me read on. For no one could perform these signs that you're doing if God were not with him. He was speaking to God himself and didn't know it. Jesus replied, verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. But how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must, you must be born again. My pastor, my church, Charleston Bible Church, pastored the church for 25 years. He was an acolyte early on of an Episcopal church. He was a good person. Ed Stelling. One day, someone asked him, when were you born again? He said, I'm an acolyte of an Episcopal church, and I've done this, 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 this. I've done all this. But when were you born again? And in his testimony, my first pastor would say that haunted him. That haunted him. Because at night he would hear this phrase, when were you born again? He didn't know what that meant. So he began to search the scriptures. Isn't that a good thing? God opened his eyes that being born again means that you enter this world once physically, but there's another realm where you enter spiritually because that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you don't understand these things? What are you teaching the people? We understand later that Jesus said it's the blind leading the blind. Nicodemus saw himself as a rich respected, righteous ruler of the Jews. Very wealthy. And how did he see Jesus? This is important. A God-sent, miracle-working doctor of the Scriptures. Here's the tragedy. He neither saw himself nor Jesus as God saw both of them. He saw himself in darkness 
he saw Jesus Christ in darkness, and Jesus wasn't going to let him stay there. Somewhere in the depths of Nicodemus' heart, all that he had done did not satisfy that for which he was created. Man is restless until he rests in God. And so he has a longing. And he wants to know what's wrong with him. He wants to understand. When I went to the Baptist College at Charleston, I took philosophy, I took psychology, I took all these courses, and people asked me why. Here was my thought. I want to find out why I am the way I am, because I'm bad. And I tell my students stories, and they're like, no. They like the stories. We keep them rated G. They said, that's not you. Yes, that was. How can a man be born when he is old? How can these things be? The Spirit of God is working in, in Nicodemus' heart, but, but he doesn't have a clear understanding. Verse 5. Jesus Christ said this. He said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you've studied your Bibles. You've looked at the commentaries. And I know there are differing opinions on what the water stands for. Bear with me, if you would. Some say the water refers to the first birth. Okay. Some say the water refers to the Word of God. But let me read something to you. John Phillips. Whatever else these words mean, they had a meaning that Nicodemus would appreciate. Apprehend and appropriate. The Lord was not trying to be mystical or obtuse. He was trying to lead Nicodemus to the experience of the new birth. The Lord was answering the question how he had asked it. He was not concealing truth, but revealing truth. In seeking to ascertain the Lord's meaning, we must observe what Nicodemus, what Nicodemus understood by these words. It's called the... I guess the theologians call it the law of historical propriety. The first mention of a certain text, of a word. What would Nicodemus understand by these words? Isn't it easy for us to read into it what we believe? Obviously, he would not read Christian baptism into them because the Lord had not instituted the ordinance yet, nor would he do so for several years. Water and the Spirit. Who had been hammering at the conscience of Israel, seeking to prepare the people for the coming king and the kingdom using those two words? It was John the Baptist. Over and over and over again, what does he say? He says, I indeed baptize with water, 
But there comes one after me who will baptize you with the Spirit. Water and the Spirit, water and the Spirit. And you can read it over in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Nicodemus, when he hears the word water, would understand that there was this man down by the river proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And thousands were coming and they were being baptized in preparation for the Messiah. Who didn't go to John's baptism? Who thought it was folly? It was the religious leaders. It was Nicodemus' ilk. It was the Pharisees who said, we have no need of repentance. The religious leaders of which Nicodemus was a representative, they rejected John's ministry of baptism. Why? They didn't need to repent. What would a Pharisee need to repent of? If they walked through the city streets and they happened to touch a common person, they would go home and bathe and wash off having touched someone. Don't you love it when Jesus Christ finds the leper? The leper who had not been touched by his family probably for years. And what's the first thing it says about Jesus and the leper? It says he reached forth his hand and he touched him. The first time that man felt the touch of God was the moment that he was cleansed of his leprosy. The challenge to Nicodemus by Jesus Christ is you don't bypass John. You don't bypass John. And all that he stood for. No John, Nicodemus, no Jesus. No repentance, no rebirth. No conviction of sin, no conversion. No water, no wind. The Holy Spirit. How many people do you know as you think back over your lives who prayed a prayer? Said that they accepted Jesus Christ and nothing ever changed. Would you hold up your hand if you know someone that did that? Yeah, there's a lot of people. They said a prayer. They said, I accepted Jesus. But if a person does not see his sin, he does not see his need for a Savior. And Nicodemus saw no need for a Savior. So Jesus Christ needs to lead him to repentance. Watch this, the world's greatest truths. Verses 11 through 15, if you have your Bibles. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We who? We, John the Baptist and Jesus. Or maybe we, God the Father in me. And John the Baptist. But we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people, Pharisees, self righteous, do not accept our testimony. 
If I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Listen carefully. No one has ever gone up into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, the Messiah. And just as Moses, okay, Nicodemus, now I know he's thinking. He knows the scriptures. He knows Numbers chapter 22, though it probably wasn't chapter 22. Just as Moses, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But the greatest tragedy was that Nicodemus taught, no doubt, on that Numbers chapter 22, where the people of God had sinned. And God sent fiery snakes and serpents into the camp, and, and they were dying by multitudes, and they cried out to Moses. And, God says, Moses, get a stick, get a pole, and take some brass and beat it into the form of a snake and put it high on a pole and go through the camp and preach your sermon. Three words, right? What were they? Look and live. Look and live. The picture People knew they had been bitten by sin, Nicodemus. And that, that poison pulsed through their veins, assuring them of certain death. And the most ridiculous thing is when Moses holds up this serpent on a pole and says, if you look, you'll live. I remember on a missions trip to Russia, Irkutsk, right near Lake Baikal. And I am teaching three days a week, three times a day to Russian children who didn't even know there was a God. New Tribes Mission had these beautiful pictures from creation to Christ, but I've got to speak through a translator. And I came to this story. And I said, these are the people of God, but they've sinned against God. And they're dying. And so I got down on the ground and I started writhing, going, I'm dying, I'm dying. I don't know about American children, but you just got to do stuff to get their attention. And these Russian kids are like, whoa. Well, anyway, I'm writhing. And then, and then I said, but Moses said, look at the snake and live. And I'm one of the people dying. And I say, oh, that's the most stupid thing. I... And I died. Reenactment. Just lift my head. And, is there anything else I need to do? No. Just look. Just look. And the moment they looked, that moment they were healed. Why? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to, unto us who are saved and being saved from the penalty and power and presence of sin. It is the power of God. 
It is the cross where Jesus tells Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up. Because later Paul tells us that that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Have you heard those words? God made him who was absolutely sinless to be the snake, the serpent on the pole, to take all the venom out of our veins so that he might put into us divinity, the life of God itself. Those who looked live, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to look to me. You've been looking at the law, and all the law can do is condemn you, and that's why you're empty. But if you look to me, you look to me as the one who will be lifted up, you will live forever. To be born again, Nicodemus has to see himself bitten by sin, a perishing sinner, abandon all hope of anything but Christ and Christ alone, and to look to the Son of God, because the moment he does that, he's born again. I did that at 19. And then we can say with Paul, who was also a Pharisee, (laughs) where then is boasting? Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but a law of faith where we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I preached through Romans once. Jay, were you there when I did that? Two years. But I'm telling you, if you want to understand the Magna Carta of Christian doctrine, you need to understand Romans. What a great book. But Paul, the Pharisee, understood. To whom is John 3.16 spoken? Personally, I think Jesus spoke it to Nicodemus. Some said, well, John the Apostle here fills in the blanks but I just don't think Jesus would leave Nicodemus hanging with the pole and the serpent. And so he says to Nicodemus, I believe, you may disagree, for God so loved the world. Nicodemus. When my students recite that, I don't let them say the world. I make them put their name in that. When we do John 3.16, we put our name in there. For God so loved George that he gave his only begotten son that if George would believe in him, George would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved Sally that he gave his only begotten son that if Sally would believe in him, Sally would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Some have said we have arrived at the great metropolis of gospel truth. No other single statement in the Bible so aptly sums up God's redemptive purpose for the human race is that God loved you. 
to the extent that he allowed his son to bear his wrath that we might experience God's grace. There's no distinction, again in Romans 10, where Paul tells us, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16. The problem we have is that we really don't experience the love of God the way God wants us to. So I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge. Early on in my Christian life, I found that Paul the Apostle was a man of prayer, and I began to memorize the prayers of the Apostle Paul and pray them for myself, my family, my loved ones, my church. There are two in Ephesians, one in Philippians, one in Colossians, and then there's about ten more in the rest of Paul's epistles. Ephesians chapter 3. You should memorize that prayer. You should memorize it. And you should pray it day after day after day after day until God makes it real in your life and then keep praying it. Because Paul says, he prays that God would grant us out of the riches of his glory. Out of the riches of his glory. That we would be strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man that Christ may dwell. The Greek means to be completely at home. To dwell in our hearts by faith that we being rooted like a tree and grounded like a building on the love of Christ might be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know experientially the love of Christ which passes knowledge hold on, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And you would say, Paul didn't say that. Of course he did, because you looked it up. But then Paul says, now unto him, you know this one, now unto him who is able to do what? Exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to what? According to the power that works within us, the Holy Spirit, who makes real the love of Christ to us. What an amazing thing. That glory might be brought to God forever and ever and ever. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works within us, unto him be glory in the church, the body, and in the head, Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, world without end. But think about the width of God's love. There will be people in heaven who will understand that God loved the world. This was a hard one for the Jewish people, wasn't it? Yeah. They called the Gentiles what? Dogs. The Samaritans, half-breeds. No, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. And there'll be people in heaven from every nation and tribe and language, rich and poor, all washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's how wide. 
When I was working as a teenager at Peter Cuit on John's Island, James Island, they'd lower us in a bucket 110 feet in the ground, put us on a train and take us out across underneath the Charleston Harbor and there'd be this big machine out there scooping mud, the mucker. And uh, I would go down into that tunnel, let's just say, in an alternate state. And uh, I would come up and I'd be able to see, I, I'd have maybe not mud on my eyes, but the rest of my body was covered with mud. And one day a young man came there and gave me a gospel track. And I know I had some words for him. I'm certain of it. And they weren't pretty. He gave me a gospel track. And I'm certain I threw it away. But about a year later, in 1973, I entered my church for the first time. And he was standing right there. The guy that gave me the gospel track. And I remember him saying to others, having known what kind of person I was, if God could save that person, he could save anybody. Done. God did it at the age of 19. So when you think of someone that is unsavable, you understand how wide God's love is. How long? Well, from eternity past. Before the creation of man... God's son was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yeah, God loves us with an everlasting love. I'm going to finish up quite soon. I'm hurrying. But I want you to understand that, there, that there's no whoops or oops or didn't see that coming with God in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve's sin. God was going to bring the greatest amount of glory to himself through the redemption of Adam and Eve, whom you'll see in heaven, and a multitude of others because it was a plan of God's love before God created the heavens and the earth. And then its depths. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. What a frightening word. To carry into eternity every unholy desire, every unmet need, Hating God, not knowing if there's ever any way out. And there isn't. There isn't. When we were sunk in the depths of unspeakable sin, rebellion, and depravity, Christ came from heaven to rescue us from the wrath of God and eternal fire. How deep is God's love? It's, it's a love that drew him from heaven to earth to rescue us from hell. And it's height, have eternal life. We've been given God's life, raised up with Christ in the heavenly realms, seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 3, 6, that in the ages to come, God might show to us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and we're engineered you can look at your neighbor and just look at them and say, whoa, 
You're engineered out of the stuff of eternity. Yes, this body's going to perish. We understand that. It's going to rot, okay? But the very life of God himself pulses through our spiritual veins. We are made out of the stuff of eternity because of what Jesus Christ had done. And Nicodemus could never, never dream of such grace. It begins with one who had no beginning. It ends with one who has no ending. It is called the new birth. And it is the possession of all who have truly repented of their sin. Truly. You see the word repented? You should circle that if you're taking notes. Just underline it. If you've repented of your sin and believed on God's only son. Repentance. You're walking along. Your back is turned on God. And God begins to move in your heart and make you aware that you are a sinner in his sight. And you come to your senses like the prodigal and you turn around and you face God and all you see is an eternal love for you personally. The world's greatest text. Let me read this and wrap it up. How do you know you're saved? For God did not send his son into into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. I believe this was spoken to Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Don't raise your hand. Ever been to a nightclub? Spent my teen years, you know, going to nightclubs. What one word describes a nightclub? Oh, you've been to one. Yeah, it's dark. The church is God's light club. Every day. As we open the word of God and we preach it and we teach it, more light comes into us. But he who loves his sinful life loses it, and he who hates his sinful life in this world will keep it to life eternal. It's a love-hate test. And the earth is a rebel planet, and Jesus did not come to condemn, because we're already under the wrath of God, the law of God, we've broken it. But if we come confessing our sin and our need of Christ, we will be forgiven. So the proof of our salvation, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, is that we continue to come to Christ in his word, day after day. No Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. That's the mantra of my students at school. But Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You continue to come. You continue to come. You continue to come. Can I just give you another hint? I said memorize Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. One more assignment. Psalm 119. How many verses are in Psalm 119? Thank you, 176. It's kindling for a heart that just has embers. It is kindling for a heart. I live 
and the 119th Psalm. Two students memorized the 119th Psalm in fourth grade. All 176 verses. It's an amazing thing. Plus, they memorized 50 from Isaiah that I had memorized and 50 from Romans that I'd memorized. Almost 300 verses in a year. Kids can memorize scripture. Kids, if you're here, you'll never waste time memorizing scripture. But God so loved the world. That's where we end. Because if the love of God is real to us, then we will be compelled by that same love. Well, let me read it. When the church comes to understand the love with which God loved the world, she will be restless and ill at ease until all the great empires have been captured and every coral island has been won. We go with the love of Christ because everyone out there is savable if they repent, if they repent and believe the gospel. And what about Nicodemus? What about Nicodemus? Hmm. Where do we see him? We see him at the end of John with Joseph of Arimathea coming out into the light and going to Pilate and craving the body of Jesus to take it down from the cross and to lay it in the tomb from which he will rise. Nicodemus was not ashamed anymore. No, and neither was Joseph of Arimathea. They were once secret disciples. They were in the darkness. Now they're in the light. And they boldly go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. That's love. That's love. And all that remained to confirm, confirm their well-placed faith was what? Was, was, was a resurrected Savior. And you know the rest of the story. Because Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would know that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that, what? Would you circle that word, repentance, just so you don't forget it, if you don't mind. And if you have this life. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Repent. If you have not done that, if you've just prayed a prayer, and God's not going to be real to you. But if you understand how God sees you and how God sees Christ and you repent and you say, I am lost, I am a sinner, and I'm under the wrath of God, but I believe that Jesus Christ was sent by God, was crucified, buried, and rose again. You'd be saved. As the song said, oh, I got saved. Oh, I got saved. In 19, I got saved. And my friends, they went that way. And I went this way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have many loved ones that don't know you. And we know the world is lost. We know the world is lost. And so would you fill us by the Holy Spirit with a love that compels us to take the gospel so that those who don't know him might repent, turn from their sin, and receive the gift of eternal life. God, I prayed for every soul here today. I prayed for those you lead us to.
in Jesus' name.